This morning I'm going to be sharing out of Genesis chapter 16. So if you do have a Bible, you can turn there. It's the first book in the Bible right at the beginning. So not too far to turn. Otherwise it will come up on the screens behind me. But this passage is a passage which is about the big decisions of life. And life is full of big, big decisions. And I'm sure some of you right now are in a situation where you are trying to make a decision between this or that or this other thing. And you're trying to think, what is the right decision to make? What should I do? Because I'm really, really not sure. What is good? What's bad? Um, where should I go? You know, maybe you're single and you're sitting here saying, should I stay single or should I get married? Or maybe you've been married before and you're trying to decide, should I get remarried? And you're thinking, who is the person if I'm going to do that? Maybe um, you're sitting there and you've got one child or two and you would love another one, but you're thinking, life is really expensive. Kids are really expensive. School is really expensive. Should I do that? Maybe you're thinking, should I study further? And what should I study? Our world is changing so fast. What is the right thing for me to do for my future? Maybe you're thinking, should I start that business that I've always wanted to start? Is now the time to take the risk? Should I step out in faith or should I play it safe? What time is it for me? Maybe you're thinking, should I stay at my job? Should I look somewhere else? Should I move cities? Should I move countries? What is the right answer? I don't know if that's you today. Or maybe it's even something bigger. But probably for most of us in this room, as people who are at least interested in Jesus, maybe you're just exploring Jesus today, we're trying to think, well, what does it look like to handle the big decisions of life with God in mind? You know? And it's very easy for us to compartmentalize our lives. So we come here on Sunday, and this is the time booked out for God. God gets my Sunday mornings from 10 to 11, 30, 12, and then I can go the rest of the week and do whatever I want. You know, kind of, I've pushed him aside, I've given him what he needs. Now the rest of the decisions are mine. Like my life is mine to lead and I'll do it however I want. And I think probably for some of us, we know there's another way. We know there's a better way to include God in the everyday, ordinary parts of every part of who we are and what we do. So today we're going to be looking at Abraham's story a little bit. And Abraham, is a, he's a spiritual giant in the Bible. He's a massive hero. In fact, when Paul writes about him in the book of Romans, he calls him the father of our faith. And he also says that we should walk in the footsteps of Abraham. So get this. Jesus says, follow me. So we are followers of Jesus. But we are to walk in the footsteps of Abraham because Abraham's gone ahead. Abraham has walked with God. He's had this long story of walking with God, and there's a lot we can learn about following God and walking with Him from looking at His example. But as we're going to see today, His example is far from perfect, but it's got a lot it can teach us today. So Genesis 16, verse 1, we'll start there. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife. And for any of you who are a little bit confused, God changed their names from Sarai to Sarah and Abram to Abraham. So I might jump back and forth between those today. It is the same people. Now Sarai and Abraham's wife had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. 
But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. This is amazing. Then the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means the Lord hears, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. I'm not 100% sure what that means. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. El Roy, you are the God who sees me. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Another beautiful name of God, the one who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beelahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, if you're new to the story, there are definitely some bits in there that sound a little bit weird and a little bit far-fetched and hard to believe. But Abraham's story is a radical one. He is a man who has been called by God, and this call is radical. The call is to leave his home, to leave his country, to leave his family, to leave his job, to leave life as he knows it, and to follow God by faith into the unknown. So he leaves it all behind. You know, he's living in the land of her, of her, which is a prosperous place. It's a beautiful place. It's a good place to live. This is the kind of address you want to have. And he leaves that behind, and he leaves his family behind, and his money behind, and his job behind, and everything he knows. And he follows God by faith to Canaan, which was a very, very poor place. This was what we would call modern-day Israel. And I want you to think about that for a second. Would you be willing to follow the call of God to downgrade your life? To go from a really nice area to not so nice of an area. To go from actually being very comfortable to being uncomfortable. From going to having a nice job to having a less nice job. A good title to not such a great title. A good salary to not such a good salary. Because that's what God calls Abraham to do. Will you downgrade your lifestyle to follow me into the things I've got for you? And it will be better for you. What's more than that? is that Abraham does this when he is 75 years old. You think like the normal person is like retiring, kicking back, feet up, like starting to enjoy the good life. Abraham is starting his biggest journey with God at 75. And Sarah, his wife, is 65 years old. We're never going to stop following God. We're never going to stop living by faith. And that's the space they're in at this moment. And God has given Abraham three incredibly big promises. The first is that he's going to have a child. And the second is that it's not just going to be one child, but the the descendants God would give him will be as many as the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. They're going to have a massive group of descendants. A nation of people will come from Abraham and Sarah. And the third and final thing is that God has blessed them to be a blessing, and that through Abraham the whole world is going to be blessed. Imagine like someone came up to you and said that to you after the service. Just feel like the word of the Lord to you, what God is wanting to say to you, is that you have been blessed to be a blessing, and through you I'm going to bless the whole world. 
But Abraham believes that. As crazy and far-fetched and huge as that is, Abraham believes God and it's credited to him as righteousness. But now when we pick it up in, uh, in Genesis 16, it's been 10 years. 10 years since the call from Ur to Canaan. 10 years since God spoke. Abraham is 86 years old. He's got zero children. And none of these blessings and promises that God offered have been fulfilled. In fact, he's in the same place he was 10 years ago, maybe in a worse place. And you can imagine his wife who has just kind of gone along for the ride, saying, Abraham, are you sure that you heard God's voice? Are you sure that he's told you these things? Because it's 10 years now, and I'm not pregnant. There's no kids coming along. Are you sure that you heard from God? Maybe she's even being a little bit more passive-aggressive. And she's starting to say, thanks so much for bringing me to this lovely land of Canaan. It's wonderful to be here, to follow this God of yours who supposedly is so good and so faithful. Where is he, Abraham? What is he doing? And you can imagine their desperation for a child. I know some of you in this church have gone through that or could be going through that. But they've probably been married for about 60 years at this point. 60 years of waiting for this child. 10 years of trusting God. God has promised it. And still no baby, no little bump in the tummy. And we need to see the anguish of this passage. This isn't just about, oh yeah, God will give them Isaac down the line and they'll have this and God will do what he said he'll do. Now imagine walking day by day through the struggle, waiting and saying, where is God? Where is he? He said he would do this. Where is he? And imagine how uh, this felt for Sarah. Genesis 16 verse 1 opens with pain. You know, sometimes you speak to someone and they're just leaking pain in everything they say. This passage leaks pain. Verse 1 says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Now, you need to see this for a second. In that culture, in that day, a woman's purpose was to have children. That was her vocation, that was her calling, that was her job, that's where she found her significance. Now, ladies, I'm not saying that that is true. <laughs> that's not the only thing you are here on this earth to do, and that's not the only thing the Bible says about women. In fact, as you read through the scriptures, we find some incredible women, like Deborah in Judges, who leads a nation, like Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, who preaches the word. There's women like Lydia, who we spoke about a few weeks ago, who led business. If you read Proverbs 31 about this kind of woman, she is this captain of industry, this titan. She does so many things. She's very, very capable. But what it's saying is in that culture and in that day, that culture saw a woman's role as just to have children. So Sarah was not fulfilling her job. She'd failed. And you can imagine almost the shame or guilt or disgrace or despair that she felt because she was not doing the thing that she felt she was meant to do. And not only that, there's almost like a spiritual pressure here. Because not only has she not been able to have the child that she wants, but there's like this prophetic possibility hanging over the story. God has spoken. God has said we would have this child. So I'm disappointed because I wanted to have this child and it's been 60 years. My husband's disappointed because he wants this child. Not only that, but God has spoken to us. And I'm not able to give God the child that he has been speaking about. And more than that, this child was meant to be the one who through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This child isn't coming. And imagine this existential crisis she was going through. Like, what's going on, God? Where are you? What am I meant to do? What is wrong? Yeah. This was almost like a curse for them. To not have children in that culture in that day was like a curse. So you can imagine Abraham almost going to his friends and saying, I've got this word from the Lord. God has blessed me to be a blessing. And they're like, but you don't even have children. Like clearly you've done something wrong because God won't give you a child. You've been married 60 years 
and you have no children, Abraham. There must be something wrong with you. You are cursed by God. You're not blessed. And Abraham's got this thinking in mind, but he's clearly cursed. If you didn't have a child in that day, you had no financial future. You had no stability, because what would happen to you when you got old? There was no retirement annuities. There were no old age homes. There was no frail care. If you didn't have children, when you got a bit older, you were on your own. You had to fend for yourself. So these people would have been seen by their friends and those around them as cursed. All of Sarah's friends raising their children, thinking, where is Sarah's baby? Where is their family? But still they were waiting. Abraham was waiting and trusting God. He knew God was good. He knew God was the kind of God who was true to his promises. He knew he could trust God and that God was faithful. But in Genesis 16, 10 years after they left Ur, he's still got another 13 years before God gives them that baby of promise. It's going to be 24 years of waiting. Abraham will be 99 years old before Isaac is born. And I want to say, how patient are you for the promises of God? You're willing to wait 24 years for something that God has spoken to you about. That's what he called Abraham to, you know? I think sometimes I'm so impatient, like... I order a book online that I'm excited to read. And waiting two weeks for it to come feels like a burden, you know. If you want something to happen, you want it to happen now, you want it to happen tomorrow, you want to look forward to it. And imagine just waiting with no kind of date in mind. This baby's coming, and year after year, it just doesn't come for 24 years. More than two decades of time. Can I understand they get a little bit tired of waiting? I imagine this was something they talked about maybe every week, you know, talking about this child when it's coming. And eventually Sarah comes with a suggestion. And she says, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She's pointing her finger at God and saying, It's God's fault. And she says, Abraham, go into my servant. And maybe that I shall obtain children by her. And you see, this was their goal. They wanted to have a child. They wanted this baby of promise. So they were going to do whatever it took to get it. And I want to ask you this question today. What is your goal? What is the purpose on your heart? What is the thing you want? What is that target you're aiming for? And what are you doing together? Are you doing this God's way or your way? How are you going to try and get hold of that thing that you want? And Sarah sits and she thinks about this and she comes up with a plan. And I think we can sometimes look at her plan and think it's crazy because we're living thousands of years later. But actually what she suggests was perfectly acceptable in that culture in that day. It was legal, it was okay, no one in Canaan would have batted an eyelid. Oh cool, that's a great idea Sarah, go with it. In fact Sarah was the matriarch of his family. She was Abraham's first wife. So the thought of her taking Hagar, her servant, and making her like the second tier wife, and when Hagar fell pregnant, taking that child as her own would have been super normal in that culture at that time. It was absolutely fine. Except what Sarah is wanting to do, it's the way of Canaan, it's not the way of God. It's the way of Canaan, it's not the way of God. There's nowhere in scriptures that this is condoned. This is doing something the culture's way, not God's way. And you can imagine they get practical. I don't know if you're a pragmatic person in the room, but eventually you start to think, what should I do to make this happen? You know, they've been waiting for 10 years They've been trying to have a child for 60 years. God's promises, let's just do it, you know. We've tried this God's way. Maybe actually we're just being silly and we should do it our own way. And you can imagine Abraham and Sarah sitting night after night just talking this through. Saying, well, actually, maybe if we just take Hagar, you know, it could work that way. God could bless that. The child could happen. And eventually over time they both get to the point where they think, let's do it. 
let's take Hagar and let's make this baby. And it makes sense practically. But they've stopped living by faith. They've stopped trusting God. They've taken this into their own hands to do this their own way. I just want to highlight something. If we backtrack in the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, we see that Abraham and Sarah picked up Hagar while they were going through Egypt. And it was a place that they weren't meant to be. It's very, very interesting. You know, they're going through this place God does not want them to be, and they pick up this woman, Hagar, who becomes their servant, who becomes a big part of their home, and now they're in this place where they're considering her being the mom of their child. And there's this reality for all of us to see that when we go to places that we shouldn't go, and we do things that we shouldn't do, we pick up baggage along the way. Sin doesn't work. Doing things our way doesn't work. We want to walk with God and walk His way. In Genesis 16, verse 2, we read, And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Now that sounds kind of innocuous, it sounds innocent, but before Abraham had been listening to God's voice, he'd gotten this promise from God and he was walking with God. Now God's gone silent and Abraham is starting to listen to Sarah's voice and starting to consider the voices of the people around him. Should I do what they're saying or should I trust in God? And I wanted to ask you for a second just to think about this. In your life, and the plans you're making, and the things you're wanting to do, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to God's voice and His will? Or are you listening to another voice? Whose voice is strongest in your life? Whose voice is directing your steps? And whose will are you fulfilling? Is it God's will or someone else's will? In this chapter, Abraham runs ahead of God because he doesn't want to wait anymore. And you can imagine that. It's been a long process. I think we can all empathize with him completely. Ten years. God, where are you? Where, where are you? You said this was your promise for us. We've been trusting in you. We've been serving you. We've been praying. We've, been, like, we've gone to the land you called us to go to. You've forgotten about us. Like, do you even hear our prayers anymore, God? Where are you? Are you holding out on us? Are you a good God? Or are you a mean God? He doesn't want to wait for God's best for them anymore. He decides he's going to make it happen in his own strength. And they have an Ishmael. And in the short term, everything gets better. Like you can imagine, as soon as they've made this decision and Hagar's fallen pregnant, they're so excited. All of a sudden, this child that they have always wanted is on the way. And you can imagine all of a sudden their social media like presence just picks up. All of a sudden there's all these pictures like baby announcements, gender reveal, like they cut into the cake and it's blue instead of pink. They're excited. There's balloons and confetti and all their friends around. Kind of cut Hagar out of the picture. It's just Abraham and Sarah. But they're really excited. And imagine as the baby comes, got all the clothes ready and the room ready and the social media post comes. Hashtag, he is faithful. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. You know, they're praising God as if he's answered this prayer. But this has got nothing to do with God. This is what they have done. They've done this in their own strength. And it feels really, really good for quite a while. Now, I do just want to say this. I think if you are the kind of strategic goal-setting, planning, creative, problem-solving, I don't know, ideating kind of person, you might think, sheesh, so I've just got to live by faith. Like, just wait on God, not do anything. No, 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 no. Use the gifts and strengths God has given you. These are tools to be used for our lives. But there is a line that we can cross where we go from trusting in God and living by faith in God and walking with God 
to trusting in ourselves and having faith in ourselves or something else and walking a completely different journey where we're living in God's will and walking with Him and then we transition to living in our will and walking our own journey and starting to diverge. And that is what is happening here. You might be saying, thanks, Grant, that's great, but I am in that situation. And how do I know the difference? How do I know the difference between God's will and my will? How do I make the decision that I've got to make? I'm going to give you four questions. This is from a man named Peter Scazzaro. This is his Ishmael test. The first question you can ask yourself if you're not sure is, am I afraid to ask God what his will is in this situation? If you've been walking with Jesus for any period of time, I'm sure you've had a moment like this, where you want something, you want it really, really badly, and you're really excited about it, but you don't know if this is God's will for you or not. And you kind of don't want to pray about it, because you're worried that God is going to say no or not yet. So you start to strategize in your mind and think, okay, how do I get this thing that I want without dishonoring God? So you decide you're going to go for it, but what you're going to do is say, God, would you bless this decision? It's kind of culpable deniability. God, you never spoke. Like, you never told me not to do it. So I did it, and like it was wrong, whatever it is. And I find this often as a pastor. Like, you're chatting to someone, their decision doesn't sound wise. You're trying to, like, get to the root of it and discuss this a little bit. And you say, have you prayed about this? Have you, have you sought God? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Prayed, spoke to the big guy. He's giving me the go-ahead. All good to go. But the reality is, there's been almost no prayer on this thing. You know, if you were to do like a ratio of 0 to 10 in terms of prayer, it's like 0 to 1, like at the best, you know. Don't really want to pray about this too much because I don't want to know what God thinks. I just want the thing. And I want to suggest to us that there's another way for Christians. Jesus actually models this to us before he goes to the cross. He's praying, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knows he's going to go through the hardest moment in human history for anyone to go through ever. And his prayer to God is, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. It's a very different kind of prayer to God. Would you bless my plans? To God, not my plans, but your will be done. And there's something that Jesus does which really helps us as we pray about the decisions we want to make. As we go to God and we can be honest with him. Jesus was honest. He says, listen, I don't want this. I know this is going to be hard. This is not going to be fun. This is what my will is. I don't know if my motives are pure or not, but I bring this to you and say, your will be done. And how good for us to come to God like that, say, I know you're a good father. I know you love me. I know you know everything. I know you know my motives and my heart and my thoughts better than me. I know you know the future. You know whether this is a good or a bad decision, but I want this thing. I want it, or I don't want it. Lord, I bring this to you and I say, would you show me what to do? Because I know you know better than me. Not my will, but yours be done. The second question you've got to ask is, am I uncomfortable exploring my motivation? Have you ever thought about that when you're making a decision? It's actually, why do I want to make this decision? Like, what is the reason that I want to do this thing? And sometimes if we can kind of peel back and get to the roots of this, all of a sudden we realize that is a terrible reason to do that. Like that is a really bad reason to make this decision. And to almost hold it up and to look at this reason and think, that is super unhealthy. That is not a long-term plan. That is a bad idea. All of a sudden we know the decision to make. We know that God's way is better than this way. But we need to be willing to do the work of going to the root, of going to the core, of going to the motive, to know whether we should decide this or not. And we might need some friends to help us. And that's the third thing. 
This is a hard question to ask sometimes. Am I avoiding getting counsel from mature Christian friends in case they disagree with me? This is a hard thing to do. Our culture is very independent. It's actually seen as a strength to make decisions in our own strength. We, we know, you know. I'm smart enough, I'm wise enough, I know the right decisions to make. But actually the Bible shows us that the best way to make decisions is in community. It's with counsel. And it says this in Proverbs 12 verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And we almost think it should be the other way around. Like the way of the fool, like he's the one who should get all the advice. But the wise man, he doesn't need advice from anyone. But we see here it's the wise man, the wise woman, the wise person who's going to people saying, listen, I think this is best, but I don't know. Can you help me? Like, Are there any holes in my thinking? Because we can so narrowly think of a decision that we don't see everything else going on. Proverbs 15 verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. I think for everyone in this room, if we just decided when we're making big decisions in life, we're going to chat to three people who are fairly wise, who are fairly godly, and have a fairly good track record. They don't have to be superstars, but I'm going to chat to a couple of people and just see what they think, see if they've got any thoughts that I haven't had before, before I make this decision. Bless you. All of you. And you know what? Like sometimes in that slowing down to actually make time to chat to people, what we find is actually we hear God's voice where before we were just so consumed with our own thoughts. The last thing is, am I too busy and distracted to listen to the voice of God? We were praying before the service today and someone prayed about this. We have had so many things distracting us every single day. Life is so busy. I don't know anyone in this room or anyone that I chat to. It's like, I've got all this time on my hands. Life is so good. Most of us are bombarded by ideas and options and opportunities and people competing for our time and attention. Are you too busy to seek God and hear His voice? Because it, practically we can explain it away. I've got so much on my mind, so much on my plate. I can't do this, Grant. I can't spend all this time praying, chatting to all these people, doing all of this stuff. I've just got to go, 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 go. I can't waste time. I need to be efficient. If you're in that space, can I really encourage you to slow down, to be with God, and to hear from Him? Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word, I hope. For some of us, we don't even know what his word is, that we can hope in it. We need to get alone with him and hear that word so that we can hope in it and walk with him forward. I'm going to end with this thought. Because this could be you today. You could be making one of these big decisions, or you could have already made a decision and you realize it's an Ishmael. I shouldn't have done this. I've done my own thing. I haven't walked with God. Because when we birth an Ishmael, there are always consequences. And after Abraham and Sarah hatched their plan, all of a sudden they start to taste the tensions of these consequences. You know, uh, Sarah and Hagar are fighting. All of a sudden Hagar, who is her servant, is now like a sister wife with her, and they're not really enjoying this new relationship. And Hagar is feeling a bit proud because she's able to have a baby, and Sarah's not, and now there's all fighting going on. And Sarah looks at Abraham and says, you did this to me. Like, God should judge you over what you've done. And they decide together that they basically are going to get rid of Hagar and the child. You know, Abraham says to Sarah, just do what you want with her. She's your property. And Sarah's very, very harsh with her. And she runs away. Shame, Hagar's this innocent lady in the story. 
You're being affected by the sin and the decisions of other people. But God is so gracious. When we go our own way and when we do our own thing, God is so gracious to us. Even when we are impatient and we trust ourselves and we don't live by faith and we do our own thing, He's so gracious. In verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring. Because God has been pursuing her. God's been chasing after her. He's been seeking Hagar. In verse 10, it says, The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Remember, that's what God said to Abraham and Sarah about the child of promise. They'll be born in 13 years. And now they've gone and done their own thing. It's, it's their way. They've made a real mess by doing things their way. And God in his grace takes their mess and turns it into a good thing. God in his grace takes their broken situation and he blesses it with the same blessing that he promised for that child of promise. Will be this multitude of children will come from you. God works all things together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. See, Abraham and Sarah should never have gone to Egypt. They should have never met Hagar. She should never have become their servant. She should have never been part of their family. She should have never been there in their home. She should have never been so central to their story. Sarah should have never made the suggestion she did. Abraham should have never agreed with it. He should have never married her, never slept with her. They should have never had that child, but they did. And God in his grace works that thing together for the good. There are consequences to our decisions. There are consequences to our decisions. But if you're in a situation now, you've got an Ishmael, you shouldn't have done that thing that you did. There's this reality that if we come to God now with that mess, he wants to turn it into something beautiful. And God blesses Hagar, who is innocent in all of this. Verse 11 and 13, The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means the Lord hears, because the Lord has listened to you in your affliction. I think I first read that and I thought, isn't this amazing? Like, you think his name is Ishmael because the Lord has heard Abraham and Sarah's prayer, but it's not. This is not the answer to their prayer. Hagar has been afflicted by this situation. Their sin, the injustice of the situation they live in, the brokenness of all of this, she's in a tough spot. And God hears her prayer in her situation. Here's Ishmael for her. Here's grace for her. Verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, Elroy, the God who sees me. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. God is so good. So good to Hagar. He pursues her. He hears her prayer. He sees her in her time of need. And he looks after her or he cares for her. I don't know what situation you're in today. I don't know if you've been praying, but God hears your prayer. I don't know if you feel alone, but God sees you. I don't know if you've been running from God, but he's pursuing after you. I don't know if you need help, but God cares about you. I'd love us just to come before him now and respond. If you don't mind just standing with me. We really do want to respond to God in prayer. So if you don't mind closing your eyes. um, There's two groups of people I want to speak to today. If you're making a big decision and you're wanting to know the will of God, I just want to run through those four questions. Have you bring them before him? Are you afraid to ask God what his will is in your situation? Are you uncomfortable exploring your motives? What's going on? The reason why? 
Are you avoiding getting counsel from mature Christian friends in case they disagree with you? Or are you too busy and distracted to listen to the voice of God? Lord, I pray for the people making decisions here now, that they wouldn't be impatient, that they would wait on you, that they would find your will, that you would speak to them and you would lead them, and they would trust you. And Lord, I pray for those who know that they've gone ahead of you, have taken things into their own hands, have done things their way instead of your way. If that's you, it's an amazing opportunity just to repent now, to come before God and ask Him to forgive you, to forgive your sin, to forgive the decisions you've made, choosing to live not by faith but in self-sufficiency and self-reliance. I just believe God wants to pour His grace into your situation. He wants to heal. He wants to help. God has been chasing after you. He's been listening to you. He's seen you. And He cares about you. And I pray, Lord God, you would take any messy situations in this room, any broken situations, any Ishmael's, and you would turn them into the good, Lord. We need you. You're such a good Father. We pray for you to pour out your grace on this room today.